Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. We've been speaking, you know, for and talking about just, you know, a, a number of the ways in which the diff, sort of the difference between the way people are present present religiously and um, and feel religiously don't match. Um, and, you know, we we're talking about the cafeteria worker who doesn't appear, you know, Nazi just sort of complains about the minion and the guy like pulls in like a very Israeli Sephardi style, pulls his keep out of his pocket, but is like, oh, I would love to come versus Nazi who is wearing a keep. And so he's sort of suddenly being pressured to go, even mm-hmm. though he's no interest in going. Mm-hmm. And now we're saying, okay, Nati has no interest in going to Minyan, but when it comes to Kashu, now suddenly he's like worried about the hashkacha of this place and won't eat it because it's like, oh, I don't know, where the, I guess his attending physician, Barbara was, was saying that, you know, um, right, different types of keepers also, right? The, like the Sardi, the other guy has the very, the, um, you know, the kind of, the kind of keeper that, you know, people will joke. That has lines on it from being in your pocket, you know, the folded in your keeper, the folded in your pocket type of keeper, uh, mm-hmm. versus, um, you know, versus Nazis. But like, there's sort of this mismatch between between all of the ways that people are like sort of appearing religiously versus um, how they're actually like feel and what they actually do in their in their own in their religious lives. Hmm. Great. That's very interesting. Um, did, did you want to lead us into a topic based on that? Or sure. So, I mean, what, what we had spoken about, well, we had spoken about it before watching the episode. We talked a little bit about Minion and the, you know, where's the idea of praying with a Minion comes from, which is one of these topics that comes up in the episode. We said, like, there's a lot of topics that are kind of touched on in, in small ways. And um, with Minion, you know, it really comes up with Nazi. And I think actually there it's in this episode sort of speaks to one of the beautiful elements of Israeli society in the way that, I mean, not necessarily, not just the fact that there's like a minion there, but it's sort of the attending physician is complaining to Nati and, and saying, you have to go to minion because the maintenance people, um, you know, the maintenance people are, you know, complaining that we're, you know, that you're not coming to make minion. Um, so the way that it's sort of, I mean, I often think about this when I'm in Israel, the way that, I mean, obviously not everywhere, but from, you know, the people working at the gas station and the supermarket and wherever, like, are all just as Jewish. Not everyone's Jewish, but, like, we're sort of not used to that in America, in most places, at least, in the same way. Um, but that there's, like, this pressure to go David and a minion, and Nati's like, I'm tired. <laughs> like, I have a break. And this is like, I don't care. Like, you can you can break and rest when you're in when you're in the minion, but like, you got to physically be there um, with them. You, you know, even if you're not paying attention, even if you're not praying, like, I don't care. You just have to be in there, whether that's because she's trying to push him religiously to like have that structure or it's because she um, just wants to be on good terms with the maintenance people. Either way, there's sort of that, like that push um, to go there and to like be part of this minion, which I think, I'm sure a number of us have experienced that and being part of a community and, and like feeling that pressure, responsibility, guilt, whatever associated with like showing up and being there in person for the, you know, for minioning like that. Yeah. I, 
I really like this question that Norm just asked. So I'm going to respond to Rod Parnick and then I'm going to respond to that question because this is, this is a great question for Rebecca Schatz. I really like this question. Um, so I, yeah, I think that one of the, one of the things that comes up in this episode that's so interesting is that it's very clear to the audience that Minion is preferred. Solo davening is kind of not looked on as you're doing the same mitzvah, right? And so when we're thinking about why that might be, you probably are guessing some of the things that the rabbis very explicitly say, which is if you go to a minion, not only are you doing it for yourself and are you allowed to say certain things in that minion, but you're also there for other people. And that's huge because if there are nine people at a minion and you're the 10th, then you, if you don't go, they might not be able to say Kaddish, which is really of the most importance when it comes to minion. Um, but also you wouldn't be able to say the Amidah uh, aloud. You wouldn't be able to say the other Kaddishes. You wouldn't be able to say the Shema in its entirety and so on and so on. The Baruchu. So read Torah. Anyway, so on and so on. So you wouldn't be able to necessarily do all of that if you weren't in a minion. And one of the interesting pieces that I told Roy Pranik I wouldn't go into, but it seems like I'm going into it, is that the person who's telling him to go to minion is a woman and he is a man. And the way that minion works in that society uh and it's specifically in that hospital in that moment is that they need a 10th man so even though she feels very strongly about allowing this minion to happen and making sure that the minion is there do anything about it because her existence in that minion is not being counted in the same way that his um there was one other thing that i was going to say about oh israel when you're in israel um, as Rypern mentioned, many times you'll be like in a cafe or walking down the street and a bunch of guys, this actually happened, I believe, with Rypernik, when we walking down the street and a bunch of people come out and say, hey, we need a tent for a minion. They're not talking to me. <laughs> They're talking to the, the guys that I'm with. And you then, I'm pretty sure that this happened with our group in Israel, you then... Rebecca, get left on the street while these men go into a room and go in for Minion for you don't know how long. You're just standing there kind of waiting for it to be over. And now some women would see that as degrading or uh, you're not counted so you don't mean anything. It's kind of nice to not have to go in and be part of the Minion in that particular instance. But it's also... It's also very, they're not even considering that I might think that they're talking to me, right? And it's a completely different culture around that. And so the attending who is talking to Nati seems to have that same kind of role, uh, tone that she knows that it's important and she doesn't necessarily feel badly about it, but she wants to make sure that he goes because she can't go. Um, and that now I want to answer, unless Rod Pernick wants to say something about that, I want to answer Norm's thing. Do you want to say anything? No. Oh, okay. 
Um, so Norm wrote, don't you think that almost every Jew, to some extent, picks and chooses about some areas where they are very machmir, some about which they are relaxed, and some about which they are inconsistent? Yes, <laughs> I do. Um, and the easy answer would be, sure, in the conservative movement, like, th that's who we are. But it happens across all movements. It is not just a conservative movement thing. Um, I can't speak for Haredi Jews. I don't have any friends in that movement. But I can speak to all the other movements. That, yes, of course, every Jew, you know, present company included, is choosing the things that mean a lot to me to make sure they are done to the extreme and then things that I can be more lenient on for whatever reason I give, but I can be more lenient on. And the, the thing that I, that I would take this even further to say is going back to our conversation two weeks ago is that the way that you look also sometimes determines what people think you are machmir about. So those of you who belong to Temple Beth Am know that very early on in coronavirus, and then I'll stop talking and Rabbi Pernick can talk. Um, very early on in coronavirus, our senior rabbi, Rabbi Adam Klickfeld, thought that he had coronavirus, and he had just been in the sanctuary, uh, I think the day before, it was the end of Pesach, and I was supposed to go into the sanctuary the next day for Shabbos to just to lead services. And we were told that I couldn't go into the sanctuary because he had just been there and we didn't know what his test results would be. So we went back and forth on whether or not for me to set up a Zoom in my home, which we had not done at the time, we had not done any Zoom services. We had only used the live stream that's in our sanctuary that we don't have to touch or anything. It just goes on and goes off. Um, if I should do that from my home. And the punchline is that I did, but it was extremely uncomfortable. Because it then seems as though, oh, well, the assistant rabbi that that new female that works at Temple Beth Am, she'll do anything on Shabbos. And I'm very, very nervous about that um, because of exactly what you're saying, Norm, that maybe that wasn't one of my hard lines. Now, it happens to be, but as soon as I turn on a computer in my home and I invite the entire congregation to see that I'm doing that, it's, it's hard to maintain those lines. So anyway, I just ranted for a very long, many different topics, so I'm going to Pernick take a turn ranting um yeah go ahead yeah I mean one thing this is making me think of is like public versus private which in the ways in which to Norm's question Norm right yes the, Norm. Yeah. um you know his comment about like uh, you know the ways in which everyone has the things they're machmir versus the things they're makial you know where you're strict and you know and so forth um, lenient. And lenient, yeah, thank you. Um, that there, like, so there's two things that come to mind. One is like one of my teachers in, in rabbinical schools uh, grew up Satmar. And he's still kind of Satmar, but he's also not. Um, and he like had a, a sicha, like a, a, like, com a class, basically. Conversation. Like, a conversation, but a sicha is like when a rabbi has like a 40-minute talk that's like not text-based. It's sort of like a broader topics that's like a yeah you know, and so he had like one that he like would give every couple of years talking about the importance of humra the importance of like having stringencies 
and um, you know, and, and like he's like, if you're going to be lenient on one thing, then you need to have a corresponding chumrah that you're taking on. You know, like if you're going to say, if you're going to say, like, well, and I mean, when he's talking about being lenient on something, he's not talking about like not observing Jewish law. But if there's something where I'm going to be sort of going closer to the edge, um, and you know. Yeah, you know, being more lenient than I was before, then you, you have to make sure you're sort of maintaining equilibrium about that. Not that everyone does it, but that was sort of a point that um, that he was making. But then the other point that I think is sort of the bigger one is about the public versus private and sort of the policy issues versus what people do in their personal life. Um, and so I think like that's something that that sort of comes up with with um you know, for example, I mean, I guess you can say the minion, you know, Nazi going to minion and, and um, something that's like visible for the world. You know, even this guy who Yifat's working with, who's saying, I'm not religious. And she's like, you look religious. And, she, and he's like, trust me, the things that you would care about, I'm not, you know, I'm not religious with. But those are all things like no one would see on the outside. I mean, on the outside, he keeps kosher, he keeps Shabbos, he keeps those things. He doesn't like fill in, which is also private um, for most, you know, if he's not going to show. So like there's there's that piece. And then, you know, and then sort of the flip side of Rabbi Shatz is talking about of like, well, if I'm being asked to do something publicly, which I'm not even sure that I'm comfortable with privately, then like what message does that send? You know, most of the time we're talking about the other the other side of issues where it's, I'm, you know, I might publicly take on a sort of a religious persona and in my private life, you know, maybe I'm not so careful about using a meat fork with a milk dish, whatever. But like, you know, but when it comes to the flip side, what Rabbi Shantz are raising of like actually being asked to do something publicly and like with orthodoxy, you know, this is a very big thing of like mechitzas and right things that are public markers of orthodoxy, you know, mechitzas, kipot, minion, like all, all of those kinds of things are, were sort of like big red lines that were drawn because they're very visible. And whether people are like laying tefillin every day or, or like being shomenagia is sort of like, whatever, we can't, we don't see it. So we're not going to ask questions. It's like, there's the, the very much a sort of a, like a dichotomy there. It is interesting for Minyan, though, because in the Shulchan Aruch, like in the in the major body of Jewish law that we that we take our Jewish law from, um, it, it's very clear about in terms of Minyan specifically. If you can't get your Minyan, you should at least daven when they're davening, right? So we have daily Minyan every morning and every evening, and if Minyan for us starts at 7.30 a.m. and you can't get to Minyan, which right now is on Zoom, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, but if you can't get to Minyan, then you should be davening still at around the same time so that it's as if you're kavanized that you are with the community, even if you can't do the same prayers that you would be able to say if you were actually in community with those people in the same room. So there is um, thought about Minion as private versus public, but it but it is it is in a similar category where your private practice still somehow influences your public um, choices and the things that you might do if you were able to get to that Minion or not. Um, it is it is interesting. Uh, Karen gave us a whole list of 
<laughs> that she that she enjoyed from this episode. Um, and one of the things, yeah, kashrut. So Rai Pernick and I went back and forth up until minutes ago um, about what whether or not we should talk about minion or kashrut. Um, specifically, or, kippah or I mean, there, right? There's like. You know. Yeah, specifically in the realm of kashrut, specifically around hashgacha, which is the stamp of approval of all shapes and sizes nowadays um, on food. Um, motzi, a women's thing. Do you where, mean instead of where where uh, what's his name is like holding up the challahs? I'm assuming and sort of like without saying anything, asking if anyone else wants to lead, and they're all like, is that "Oh, because the woman can." Yeah. So a woman can, um, yes, Karen. When he said by permission. Her shoot, yeah. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. It was translated. And I'm thinking, who's he, why does Uh, he, I don't get it. Yeah. More formulated. It's so interesting. It's interesting how, like, English translations uh, will will change your your thinking on that. So when someone does... Like when I do mozi in my home, unless like unless I'm doing it alone, if I'm doing mozi for people, I'll say beer shoot, not because I literally need their permission, but it's it's because you've all washed your hands and it's the first person to speak. You're like making sure everyone's ready, right? You're basically saying, "Hello, are you ready? We're gonna start now." If I say this, you're gonna respond. It's the same as during kiddush when you say lachaim in the middle. It's it's kind of similar to that. It's like a little. A little participatory so to make sure everyone's awake. Um, but but mozi is something that women can do that will that trickles to the men. Meaning it's a mitzvah that women can. Um, it's not even a mitzvah. It's a it's a thing. It's a bracha that can do that. If I said it, Rabbi Pernick wouldn't also have to say it. However, in some denominations of Judaism more right-wing orthodox denominations of Judaism, if a woman does kiddush, a man will say kiddush because the man believes he needs to sanctify Shabbat by saying kiddush from hearing it from a man or doing it as a man himself, as opposed to a woman doing it for him. Another topic for another time. Um, Yeah, so touching like Shomer Nagia, if you're observing kiss on the cheek, um, oh, because he kisses her on the cheek and she doesn't freak out, you mean? Or yeah, she, I mean, he goes, Pernick, he goes to kiss her and she like backs off. Yeah. No, no, no. He, she's talking about Hodaya when, when Avri, nope, she's not. Okay. I'm talking about, uh, what's her name? And, Ifats. Uh, uh, with the guy from the poster thing, from the, the, the uh, brochure. The brochure. And, and oh, oh. we wouldn't be good together. And she's not buying it so much. You know, you keep the Shabbos and blah, blah, blah. And then he goes to kiss her on the cheek, I assume. And she goes like this. Yeah. It's very her. sweet of you to think that that was on the cheek. I, I, um, I think, I think that he was trying to make a point that yeah. it wasn't. It wouldn't yeah. work. Right. And, and that he was basically saying like, I keep Shabbos and I keep kosher, but like, I'd be willing to kiss a girl who I like and you're going to. More than that actually, but okay. 
Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. Um, but I think that, I think that he was trying to show her that you would not be comfortable with my level of leniency. So let me show you. And he knew that she would back away. I thought you were referring to when Avery kisses, um, uh, the other one, Hodaya on the cheek. And she doesn't care about that, but then she can't eat meat and milk. Um, right? I, I think Rabbi Pernick can speak more to Shomer Nagia, um, but I believe that it that it kind of comes from... First of all, if that's a person that you've known for a long time, um, before you were Shomer Nagia potentially, or not, in this case, that's not the case. Um, he was talking about like, the, the private and the public, right, of what is appropriate, what's not, how did she feel about that, and the rest of it. Um, okay, should we go back to Minion for a minute? Yeah, I'm interested in, I mean, so Norm brings up this point about Minion. I see the Freemans also brought, bring up a point about Minion. But starting with the, the Norm one, which I think, I mean, it's more based on characters in the episode, but this idea of, you know, maybe the attending, the woman who's like, Nazis attending isn't actually from, she just wants to accommodate these workers and this is something you know it's like not to you know you should be doing this you can be doing this yeah i hadn't thought about that it's definitely a possibility the point the i mean the fact that they sort of made a thing about her eating the sandwich made me think that she is religious um but maybe not um but because she thought the hushkaha was okay yeah like the fact that they sort of like make us they make a scene of him eating his gross cafeteria food while she has the sandwich from the place. Made me think that they were. She didn't wash. She didn't wash. Uh, you're right. She didn't. So maybe she's not religious. You're right. I mean, I I lived with two roommates when I was in New York City who were residents, and I, it's an interesting thing. I mean, because New York City is like fairly similar to Jerusalem. Um, you know the ways in which like religious doctors are often asked to kind of step in and mediate conflicts by virtue of their religious status, um, which at times is frustrating to them. Like, I mean, my, my roommate, you know, had stories about like, you know, patients who were not in his department who, but like other doctors came to him because he's like, the guy who wears a kippah and they're like, we can't get this family to agree to take the, you know, their grandma off the ventilator. She's brain dead. She's et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like we cannot convince them to take her off the ventilator, which is a whole nother topic that we're not going to get into now. Um, but like, they were like, Oh, Rafi, Rafi, like, can you go talk to them? Cause like, this isn't, that's not my issue. Like this is not my patient. Um, but because he's like the resident who's wears a kippah, um, there, you know, you're sort of like asked to step into situations that you wouldn't be asked to step into if you weren't wearing a kippa. So there might be a piece of that with Nazi. And yeah, maybe if it was other doctors there and it was like people who felt more like peers and friends, maybe it would be different than when it feels like, oh, I'm being asked to like help out the maintenance guys to make a minion. Like, you know, so yeah, that might, that definitely might play into that. And I hadn't thought about that, but, um, I think that's an uh, interesting point. Okay, well, let me see what the Freedmen. The Freedmen talk about if someone joins in as the tenth for a minion, and then later an extra person jo- joins in, is there any obligation for the original person, original tenth, to stay in? No, 
There is not. That tenth can leave. As long as there is ten there, it doesn't matter the makeup of those ten. So it can be a rotating tenth. I've certainly been in situations where that is so that has happened. Uh, Betham, when Betham is in person, as I mentioned, we have daily minion Bizman, meaning um it, the time changes throughout the potentially the week, but usually just by month, we change the time based on the time that you're supposed to be saying Mincha and, and Mariv. Um, and so when it's really early, like it is right, I mean, it looks like it's 11 p.m. outside. When it's really early, the clergy very often will do exactly what you're describing, Leonard, which many, maybe this is why you're asking the question, where one person will come in, but then they have a meeting at 4 p.m. And so the other person will leave and the other clergy will come in and, and you rotate around to make sure that there are still 10 people. But we can't all be there at, you know, three o'clock when we're supposed to be. So, um, okay. I want to, I just want to mention one thing, Karen Cass, I love you dearly. We're not going to do that right now, but I'm happy to talk to you about it any, any other time. Um, so one thing I want to talk about is Minion currently in the state of the world. Um, so, I don't know what's going on in New Orleans. I, well, I know what's going on at Josh uh, Rye Parnick's school, but I don't know what's going on in general in this in the city. Um, at Temple Betham, we are not holding Minion daily in person. And the only uh, Minion that we have in person uh, on Shabbat is on this very large field that we have that cannot hold hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people distanced from one another. So we, as a conservative shul, had to figure out what does it look like for us to be a shul that has minion every day and be able to still hold people in a fashion of minion, which, as we mentioned at the beginning, very often minion, especially in large shuls, is held by people who are saying Kaddish, whether that's for a yard site or that's for someone who's actually in mourning currently. And so there, very quickly, the conservative movement decided that there were different ways to get around using Zoom as a way to have a minion. What I'm about to say is not agreed upon in all conservative shuls. Um, some conservative shuls are more lenient than what I'm about to describe. Some conservative shuls do not consider Zoom a minion at all, um, which is typical of the conservative movement to not necessarily be on the same page on one topic. But at Temple Betham, we decided that it was extremely important that we continue to say mourners Kaddish. So... Anytime there are 10 people on a screen, we will say Mourner's Kaddish. We count women in our minion, so it's 10 people, not 10 men. And we, we will allow people to say Mourner's Kaddish because we don't only believe that it is something that is important as a part of just general prayer life, but that it's also pastoral, that someone who was saying Kaddish before, or God forbid, had to start saying Kaddish in the middle of COVID, that, that those are words that people associate with that period of grief and that period of needing to be held by their community. 
So our Marda Atra, our senior rabbi, decided that the, that was the only thing we were going to say of these categories of things that you cannot say without a minion um, and, and consider Zoom a minion. So before I, before I turn it over or you ask questions or whatever, I just want to share that this actually comes from a piece in the Shulchan Aruch, that body of law that I mentioned before, that talks about how in, there are different configurations in which you could be in a synagogue space where you can see people, but you're not really in the same room as them, but you can hear them. And so is that okay? Is that considered a minion? Many, many years ago, um, I, I have it here. I'll, t I'll give you the exact date in a moment. Many years ago, um, there was a tshuva in the conservative movement written about being able to use Skype as a way for people who, obviously, people were not in um, quarantine, but some people can't always get to Minion. So can I dive in from my office with a Minion that's already present and say amen to their moments that are needed for a Minion? Can I also say Kaddish? And the was yes because you could be heard and you could hear. And in the Shulchan Aruch, it talks about if you're standing behind the building or if you're standing in the building but around a corner or anything like that, that you are still somehow part of the minion if you can hear what is going on and you can respond and they can hear your response. So I just wanted to point out that the, it is coming from lawful behavior, but it is not considered to necessarily be the law that you can say mourners Kaddish without 10 people, 10 men in, tradi in the traditional world in, uh, in your presence. So that's how Temple Betham decided to, to sway ourselves. Um, so I just want to add that to the conversation because I, I think it's a really big topic right now in terms of Minion, how different shuls are are dealing with Minion in the Orthodox world. I know that another big piece of Minion was how to count uh, when things started to reopen. Do we only allow it once we can have 20 people so that men and women can come? Or do we do we just say 10 men? Um, I know that was, a, that, that was a back and forth as well. So the conservative movement, it was more the mourners Kaddish and uh, the Orthodox movement, the other topic. Um, I'll just touch on one piece of this before we sort of open the floor, because I think, you know, I was talking before about the ways in which there's sort of the difference between personal private practice versus policy issues, as it were. And like Mourner's Cottage is a great example, because Mourner's Cottage is something that does not really have halachic origins, basically. It's, it's like a, a very late addition to the service in terms of like, historic historically i mean it's not something that really was said it's it's not in the talmud anywhere it's something that's very late and so in theory when it comes to making leniencies you know to say baruch without a minion and this is i'm sure part of temple betham's decision making about what to you know saying mourner's kaddish with a zoom minion but not other things is like things like kadusha and baruch and so forth are what we call divarim shabik um things that uh, you know pieces that have um, holiness to them and the, which require a minion. And Mourner's Kaddish doesn't really doesn't fit in that. Mourner's Kaddish, like I said, is sort of a very historically late addition to the service, and yet there's a lot of as Rabbi 
Beth Schatz talked about, there's a lot of like pastoral connection and people feel, you know, people come to Shoal so that they can say mourner's Kaddish. Like it's, there's like a very deep connection people have with Kaddish. There's many books written about Kaddish by people who have gone through that process. Um, but it's not something that like from a legal perspective actually matters all that much, um, which means in theory, it would be an easy thing to be lenient about. Um, so yeah, in theory, it'd be a, a thing to be lenient about, but for policy reasons, you know, I mean, in Israel, before, right around Passover, there was a, a tshuva that came out from a leading rabbi, like really a, a major leading rabbi saying that um, you should say mourner's Kaddish by, with zoo minions. And it was sort of like, accepted widely in Israel and like not accepted or I'm not gonna say anywhere because there are a couple places but like almost universally not accepted in America and the reason has nothing to do with Jewish law it is ex- entirely about policy and like in Israel there's much more of this culture of people going to Minyan and you know people go to Minyan generally and because there's Minyan Iman like on every corner and there isn't that same kind of like fear that once, you know, if you tell people you can do Mourner's Kaddish with a Zoom minion, then once normal life res- resumes, um, no one's going to think that that is like a substitute for actually going to minion. Whereas I think in America, there was much more of a fear of, you know, if we tell people this counts as minion, then they're not going to come to Shul. <laughs> like, I think that played into a lot of the decision making on, on the parts of synagogues um, to say like, no, zoo, you know, and people aren't as perhaps as knowledgeable um, about like Jewish law. And so might think, oh, they're saying Kaddish, so they count this as a minion. When in truth, like, no, they don't count it as a minion. It's just that Kaddish, like I said, doesn't really have um, the same halachic weight to it as other things. Before we open it, I just, I do want to say that there are other things that the conservative movement, the modern Orthodox movement, the more right-wing Orthodox movement came out with um, as poems or psalms or readings that you could do so that if your community decides to not say mourner's Kaddish, that those are things that could be said whether in your own home or in a community um, to to kind of uh, have the same feeling as saying mourner's Kaddish that you might have if you were in a community of 10 where you could say mourner's Kaddish, the, the typical uh, prayer that we know. We as a community decided not to do something alternative because we thought that the actual words that people know of mourner's Kaddish felt very comforting and um, and like a rite of passage almost in, in those moments uh, where they needed them. I'll add one story. From Rabbi Silver, um, here is the conservative rabbi at Sheikh Harash, the conservative synagogue here. She's also a member of whatever it's called, the Committee on Laws and Standards. Is that what you call it? Oh, that was so close. The Committee of Jewish Law and Standards. Okay, that's close. Uh, the conservative movement, Sanhedrin, as it were. Um, oh. who, who, that's right, who makes law for the movement. Um, and she, and I think they, Shir Kadash, fairly early on, similarly started saying mourners Kaddish by Zoom, if I'm not mistaken. And the reason is because there was like a board meeting one time yeah. and someone who was at the board meeting was like, oh, there's 10, Yitzkadal, Yitzkadash, and just like started saying mourners Kaddish. And she was like, well, I guess, <laughs> I guess they see it as, as like, as, you know, it feels like a minion to them. So it must be the, you know, and she, you know, and when that conversation came up in the, 
Committee on Jewish Laws and Standards room, she was like, look, this is something that just happened to me the other day. That like at a board meeting, someone just started saying Mourner Scottish because there was 10 people there. And so, um, and so it that- was the first, it was the first chuva to pass in the CJLS on March 17th, 2020, which was also my bat mitzvah. Um, 2020. Not <laughs> what? That was my question. Yeah. Um, they passed this chuva, right? After many of us went to hibernation, they passed, but to be able to use Zoom specifically for um, for mourners Kaddish, but the other dvarim should be that were not considered. Any thoughts, questions, comments? I spoke a lot tonight. I'm sorry about that. I don't tend to lecture. No thoughts. Let's scroll through the chat, see if anything else. I, I mean, there were, you know, there's a lot of the topics, but I mean, in the earlier conversation, I know some, some Bethlehem people were there for part of that. We sort of touched on a lot of those pieces of the difference between Kashrut and you know, those kinds of things. Um, we can talk about Hashkacha for three minutes if you want. I'm sure Go ahead. No, I'm sure. I mean, I think it's, uh, yeah, I don't know so so much of what, like the, that whole scene of Nazi calling the Rabbi and getting yelled at. And then the Rabbi Nuda, like actually looking into it, I feel like it was like very Israeli. <laughs> like, like he called and they're like, "Don't you know it was a crime to like, you know, kashrut fraud is a fraud as a crime?" He's like, "Look, I'm I'm calling the ass." Um, and then suddenly the guy's replaced, and then like he feels really bad about it. But um, yeah, we, I don't think there's so much to but say. But also in Israel, it's so much, um, it's so much more contentious to have a teuda of any kind, because when I lived in Israel in Rehavia, there was this very cute little cafe around the corner from my house, really on the corner of where I lived, and it had a non-Rabbanut hashgacha, um, so a non-Rabbanut certificate of being kosher, but it was a dairy place. So they weren't open on Shabbat, they abided by all those rules, they also had kosher food, but they didn't want to pay the Rabbanut because they were liberal, secular Jews. So in Israel, it's also extremely, uh, talk about political, extremely woven into the political scene there. And so you see different, different, um, t- different, what's the word in English? Um, signs, declarations, uh, stamps of approval, I don't know what the word is in English, that on different windows based upon what they would, what? Certifications. Certifications, thank you. Yep, that is the word. Um, that they have based upon what they serve, who's who they paid, and all those kinds. Um, and in America, we have a gazillion and five different hectares that you can find just by walking into Trader Joe's. Um, and you'll see a stamp that has the U.S. on it, and you'll see a stamp that has California on it, and you'll see a stamp that's the OU, which is the most famous. And it all means that someone paid someone to make sure that it was kosher, and that person said it's kosher, and they got money, and they put a stamp on it. Um, yeah, I just want to say that in, in Tel Aviv, if you if you go there, there's a NOLA American bakery, New Orleans uh some Israelis uh, grew up, uh, lived here in New Orleans and then moved back to Israel. 
Um, and they uh, they have a, a tilde uh, kashrut, I guess, I, if that's what it's called. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they they don't have one because they they were um, Masoti conservative, and uh, when they they realized it was a, it was basically uh, a, a game to raise, you know, to pay off a huge sum. Uh, so they, they don't, they're not kosher, um, and but they, it's a nice place to be able to go. <laughs> One of my no, go ahead, go ahead. So, it, so most places in Israel that are kosher have multiple two dots, and the rabbanut tuda is like the baseline. Like you can't have anything else unless you have rabbanut. right? If you want something else, you need to you need to pay the rabbanut and have rabbanut hashkacha, and then you can add. On top of Rabbanon, you can get Badats, which is like Haredi, you know, all the other ones. Um, the problem is that all the rabbis in the Rabbanut are Haredi, and none of them would ever eat in a restaurant that was only under Rabbanut Hashkacha, because like, you know, they would only eat Badats. And so I actually think this episode sort of, it's like a very, it's a very like live issue in the Rabbanut that certification or like supervision standards are very low to like often non-existent within places that have just, you know, Rabbanut sort of uh, supervision because like, look, the Rabbanut rabbis wouldn't eat there. So like they got their money from the restaurant, like they wouldn't eat there anyway. So like they're not really incentivized at all to actually make sure that it's <laughs> that it's kosher. Um, and so a lot of people, particularly with dairy restaurants, like a lot of people won't eat Rabbanut dairy. If it's a, a dairy restaurant that, is only under supervision of the Rabbanut because they know that the Rabbanut will never go to that restaurant to supervise. Like a meat oh, isn't there, is, isn't there, I'm sorry, an attempt, uh, some alternatives to the Rabbanut? Yeah. So there, yeah. So there's an organization called uh, Hashkacha Pratit, which is a great name because um, Hashkacha Pratit is like, sort of like divine providence is like usually, you know, like hashkacha pratis, as I would say. Um, but it's also private hashkacha. So it's a, um, so yes, yeah, so that's an organization that's fought through the courts and like, cause they, right. Like I said, legally you weren't, you couldn't have anything else unless you had Rabbanut. You needed to have Rabbanut and then you could have other things on top. So the, the idea of hashkacha pratit was that it was an alternative to the Rabbanut. Um, I think they can't call the, they can't say like kasher. Like there's some like language things that they, they can't use the word kosher, but it's sort of like for those, those who know, like those who know when they see it, um, know that it's an, it's a restaurant that's under this kind of supervision. And it's a very different model, right? Rather than the Robin Newt one where you pay a lot of money and you get, and no one ever comes. This is like, you don't really pay much, but there's sort of, you build a relationship with, the rabbis of this organization will come teach the owners of the store of the restaurant about kashrut and sort of it's more it's less like the feeling of getting caught and it's more about actually like developing a relationship so that if something comes up and someone you know the restaurant screws up they'll actually call this rabbi and, and say like hey this happened what do I do um, so it's the sort of trying to rework the kashrut agency in Israel I mean and if one up I mean there's been cases that have gone up to the Israeli Supreme Court um, where Hashkacha Pratit has won. Um, so, yeah, that's, um, but that's, but that's sort of a change to a very entrenched system, which is still very small at this point, relatively speaking. So we can talk more about Hashkacha and Kashrut. It, it'll come up many it's more times in the show. Yeah. Um, 
and we can talk about that another time. Uh, the last thing I'll add to this, and then we'll, we can wrap up, um, and I'll let Robbie Parnick wrap since I did most of the talking, um, is my, my rock teacher, Rabbi Aaron Alexander, um, when he teaches fruit, he talks about how something can be kosher and something can be hectured. So when you go into, can you all hear me? It says my head is unstable. Okay. Um, when into, I'll just you keep using traders. If you go into Trader Joe's and you see that you are buying something that is one ingredient and it doesn't have a, a hexure on it, there are some people who will not buy it because there's not a hexure on it. But at the end of the day, if it says chickpeas and water, it, it is kosher, right? It is, it is an item. Chickpeas are kosher. Water is kosher. The item is kosher, but it is not hectured. And I, Rai Parnik and I will disagree on this, which is totally fine. Um, but that is something that, that I find very comforting when thinking about items of kashrut, and especially in Israel when things have that teuda or not. I am much more comfortable going into a restaurant that has a teuda. But if it doesn't have a teuda for political reasons or because they're taking a, you know, taking a uh, stand, is it not a kosher restaurant? Well, I don't know. I would have to go and I would have to figure that out for myself. But it's definitely not hectored. So I just wanted to add that because I think that he is full of wisdom and um, and that has been something that has really stayed with me in terms of kosher. And so I wanted to offer that to you. Um, but Rai Parnik. Yeah, I mean, I sometimes I mean, so this this came up this comes up all the time but like when i was working in north carolina um my last year of rabbinical school there was an issue where like it was very very hard to find hechshered bread um just because sarah lee was dropping their hashkacha sarah lee like the you know bimbo breads which is like the massive bakery that like everything else is under was like dropping their ashkacha and in Durham, North Carolina, where there's no kosher anything, um, like there's no kosher restaurants or anything like there's um, like bread was just really hard to find. So, and there was a lot of Israelis like kind of, I would say Srugim style Israelis, you know, in terms of their firm, firmness who are, you know, asking, they're like, look, it's really hard to find bread. If we go somewhere and it's just bread, like it's just bread, there's nothing else. Um, you know, can we, can we eat it? And now bread is different than, you know, chickpeas and water, for example. Um, I would say that there are, you know, frequently things that you wouldn't think are problematic actually might be problematic. So one example I have in my freezer right now, a box of, I told Rabbi Shas this, I have in my freezer a box of black cherry Italian ices. Um, that are not kosher. They're not, they're not hectored. They're not hectored. And they're not kosher. Um, because, you know, what happened was I went to get Italian ices and the brand, you know, I saw there were a bunch of different boxes there and all of them had hectures on them. And then I, you know, I was going to grab one box of one flavor and then I was like, oh, you know what, I'll grab, oh, there's black cherry, I'll grab that instead. And then I looked and it's like, oh no, this one doesn't have a hectare on it. Now, if a company, I mean, and this is a particular thing to know, like if a company has hashers on some products and not on other products, there's probably a reason why. 
Um, so it's one thing if it's, you know, if we're talking about, um, like, right, it's one thing if it's a small company, you know, out here, like often, often small companies, like, they don't have a hexer because like, why would they have, you know, why would like Cajun brands also made in somewhere in Louisiana, like have a hexer, right? That's a different story. Um, but if there's a company that where like most of their items of one sort are hexered and one isn't, like there's probably a reason to it. Um, and it's often things you wouldn't think about, like food dye colors. And like when it comes to, you know, Italian ices, for example, like one or anything that's flavor, that's colored, food with food coloring, like one of the common dyes that's used is made from bugs. And so that makes like a red, red 40 or something. And so like that, like there's a real reason and people would be like, it's Italian ice, like what's the problem? But like you're eating, you know, it's made from bugs. Like that's an issue from a Akashic perspective. So that's my final, my point on, I think often people are, are, um, go out with a bang. What? Go out with a bang. Oh, the thing, I think often there's an assumption that, oh, this, this item is clearly not a problem. And like, uh, there are hidden problems that you might not think about. Um, and, you know, it's just worth, uh, worth having that on your, you know, having that there that even if something doesn't seem, you know, clearly problematic, it, it might still be. And there's a reason why Hexer, why some people only eat food with Hexer because it's like someone's there, someone sign, can sign off to the fact that this is okay. Better that way. So I'm really glad that we ended talking about bugs in a class all about Minion. It's very connected. Um, I just want to go on record that I chatted to Rabbi Pernick and I said, don't tell them why the dye might not be kosher because now you're all going to think about bugs every time you look at something that's red. So I was trying to save you. I just want you to know. Um, to anyway. What? So it's good to be aware. It's good to be aware of these things. It is good to be, thank you, the, the master educator. Um, it is good to be aware, you're right. Um, okay, so we're going to do the, see, don't ask questions. Just don't ask questions. Don't ask questions. We shouldn't have told you. It's good to be aware about some things. Um, <laughs> we'll see you next week. Uh, just in the realm of thinking about this class after this, just think about, you know, how Minion has played a role in your life, especially now. Um, if you are part of a Minion, if you choose to not be on one uh, digitally, but you will go to one in person or vice versa, um, and how that just has has played into your spiritual life, I think it's something that I think about all the time. And I think it's something very interesting that is coming out of this coronavirus period and um that we were lucky enough to be able to talk about with you today. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.